Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Welcome to All The Things. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. We have made it to Saturday. We are so excited. <laughs> I am. Yes. yes. And yes. helping us on the show tonight and all the time, practically every day, is Bob the Button Pusher. Yes. <laughs> Sporting the cool oh. look. Oh, wait. Something went wrong there. Yes. Uh, we also, we want to invite you to join us on the live stream over on YouTube. Just go to the All The Things Show uh, YouTube page and you can join our live chat over there. And our guest a moderator tonight, hopefully, <laughs> I haven't seen yet, but I, I deputize Laura Hartley and Jeremy and we will see who else shows up. But we are glad all of you are here tonight. And if you are watching on Facebook, I am in the Facebook chat on the Center for Biblical Unity page. Yes, because we usually get 100 comments there. Yes. So we want to invite you now to this is the audience participation part of the show where uh, you get to click on that share button, hit the thumbs up. Make sure you're subscribed. Hit that notifications bell on YouTube so that every time we go live, you will theoretically receive a notification. It's always a little sketchy with YouTube because uh, they like to shadow ban us. But go do 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 your due diligence and share us on your social media streams uh, and share with your friends because that really helps our algorithms and getting the word out to the world. Yes, and tonight's show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity, Family 210, our clothing store, and Theology Mom. Go Ooh. and get a shirt. We yes, got yes. swag, people. Swag is a great way to support the work that Monique is doing at the Center for Biblical Unity. In fact, today in Washington, D.C., there was a sighting oh. of the Center for Biblical Unity. There it is. Wow. Hey, I have that shirt, too. On the steps. I think that's in front of the Lincoln Memorial. There um, it is. There was at the, they had a big uh, prayer march. That's awesome. Today. at And I saw some footage. A friend of uh, my friend, Wendy, her her son, I think her son, Riley, was there. Um, he attends school back east and yeah. he had some video on Instagram. So it looked like he was there. It looked like there were a lot of people. There. Awesome. And speaking of shirts, I'm going to move my microphone a little bit because okay. I have a shirt. Now, I showed it to the family during our family meeting. But yes, it. I need to make sure I'm turning the right way. It says holy enough to pray for you, hood enough to swing on you. And this was given to me by lovely Linda, our HR volunteer. And I'm so <laughs> thankful because this shirt truly encapsulates who I am. I am so thankful. Holy and I will pray for you, but don't catch me on the wrong day, y'all. <laughs> yes. So it's good. It's really good. So we have a surprise guest. We do have a surprise guest. And this guest is going to come on in just a minute. But to give you a, a pre-glimpse as to who this guest is, we are going to play a video. We're just testing the audio here if we're talking. And then I'm going to ask Krista a question. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, the Word, word was, was God. ESV. In Arche and Halagas, Kai Halagas, Prostantheon. Oh, come on, show off. That's the only one I know in Greek. Show off. I had to memorize it. I can swear. Hey, friends, I'm here with oh, Kristen. Sorry. That's right. Did you pick your nose? No. Oh. Uh, don't put it past me. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Ooh, this is going to be fun. I don't know how to do it. But like, yeah, white people got the market on that one. I, I just can't, I can't be. Yeah. It don't. It, I got the ponytail today. It's not going to work. Christy, you can't do it either. No, I can't. Uh -huh. Whoop, whoop. We went live. <laughs> She's like, that would be fun. It won't do it. Oh, it will do it that do? way. Yeah, but I don't think Instagram goes that that direction. Oh, that's right. It would have to be like this. Mom and uh, Krista, you're not Krista. Krista, side. Let me try that again. Now, that's the angle for one. <laughs> I'm a big girl. I can't teach you. <laughs> well, so in case you're you're wondering who our special guest is tonight, it is the one and only the Auntie Alisa Childers joining us all the way from her home in an undisclosed location. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. That you both know where the secret bunker is. Yes, <laughs> I do. Yes, yes. Okay, so we are so glad that you're here. We wanted to have you come on because um, for all of you out there in Facebook land and YouTube world, we if, if you haven't seen the advertisements, I don't know where you've been, but we are going to host your launch party. You are releasing a book, Another Gospel, and we're going to be hosting your launch party. So we wanted to just give people a bit of a teaser and some information as to what's going to happen. So the launch party is going to be October 5th, Monday night, in a couple of weeks, 4 o'clock. A week from this Monday. Yeah, uh, uh, 4 o'clock Pacific, 7 o'clock Eastern. We're going to live stream. So, Alisa, uh, for the two viewers who are watching us right now that don't know who you are. <laughs> Because we talk about you all the time. You are like Aww. America's favorite auntie. So oh, I love it. I love that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself and your book. Yes. Well, th first of all, thank you guys so much. So uh, Krista and Monique offered to throw a launch party. And I was like, sure, let's plan this. And just we kept coming up with more and more ideas. And it's going to be so epic, you guys. But um, a little bit about myself. So I've written a book called Another Gospel. And it's essentially my story of walking through doubt and deconstruction after being in a class with a progressive Christian pastor who was really an agnostic. And so um, I just went through a really dark time of doubt, a crisis of faith as a result of some of the skeptical objections he was bringing up in a class that I was in, uh, really against God and uh, just the existence of God the reality of some of the miraculous stories in the Bible, the truthfulness of Christianity, the whole shebang. And as I sort of, as well as God sort of helped me dig out of this pit of doubt, I learned a ton of apologetics and all kinds of answers to the questions that I had that I'd never really thought about before. And it's all in the book. So the story of me walking through that journey is this book. 
And then the answers to the, que the questions I was asking, the answers to those questions, where I found those questions, it's all in here, but it's, it's told uh, through the lens of the story. So it's, a, it's almost kind of like a, a memoir slash apologetics book, I guess you could say. Wow. I have, we have ours too. Yes. I, mine is upstairs, but <laughs> I do have mine and I have started girl, them hermeneutics classes. I was like, Oh, the auntie or Blomberg, the auntie or Blomberg. Oh, I, I was Blomberg. so sorry. Always Blomberg. I didn't, I didn't, I, I really didn't want to. So I, I had to put it down for like a couple of days, but yes. it's so good. I, I just, Oh, I have to refrain from saying all the good things about it. But it's really good. So tell us a little bit about what we're going to be doing at the launch party and why people so, should tune in. Yes, you should definitely tune in because it's going to be live streamed on Theology Mom and Center for Biblical Unity and my Facebook page and both of our YouTube pages. And it's going to be a, a little bit, we're going to do some interview, but we've talked about making this kind of like the apologetics Barbara Walters type interview where <laughs> Krista and Monique are going to be asking me more more questions really related to the struggles I went through writing the book, the little victories I experienced along the way, uh, what the book writing process was like. So this will be more of an intimate interview about writing the book and what brought it on and, and just kind of how that whole process went. But then we have some surprise guests that are going to join us. And I don't want- And to these give, are big names, people. Some of them are big names. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to give too much away about yeah. it, but these, every single person that's going to be coming on as a guest was somebody who had a really significant role to play in this book, essentially materializing into the universe. And so they, all of these people uh, either encouraged me along the way or just helped mentor me in some, in one way or another uh, to get this book out. And so I think that'll be really fun. And we're going to have um, some giveaways. So there's going to be prizes, at least three, probably four, maybe even five prizes that we're going to be giving away. So whatever platform you're watching on, whether it's YouTube or Facebook, um, there'll be a way for you to enter uh, for the giveaway that we'll do right there. And then there'll be kind of a special announcement that we'll make about something special that's going to happen right after the live stream that if you watch the live stream, you'll get to hear about and get to join in on that. So there's just lots of fun stuff. And um, it's going to be really fun because we have a special thing planned with our guests too when they, when they call in, um, we're going to have them respond to progressive Christian memes. So that should be really fun. We'll see what they have to say about some of that. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Can I win a prize? No. I like prizes. Yes. I will give you a hug when I see you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. So let's All give right. the details again of how people can find the virtual book launch party. Yes. Um, it's going to be October the 5th because the book drops on Amazon. Some people are already getting their books, but yeah. if you pre-order through Amazon, it's, it drops October 6th. So we're having the launch party October 5th in the evening, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can catch us uh, at Elisa Childers, Facebook and YouTube, as well as Center for Biblical Unity and Theology Mom Facebook. Yes. Now, is tell us about the benefits of or of pre-ordering. Yeah, because we want everybody yeah. to pre-order. Yes. And one of our moderators put a link to the, the 
the pre-order in the chat over there. Because so, I hear that there's some rumors that, that yes. pre-ordering is a good thing. You want to pre-order. So you definitely, if you're interested in the book, you definitely want to pre-order because you will get a couple of bonuses. So like they mentioned, the book comes out in a couple of weeks. If you pre-order anywhere, it doesn't have to be through any particular retailer or through my website or anything like that. But if you just pre-order the book somewhere, you get, you will get access to the first two chapters a week early. And but the main prize here for pre-ordering is if you pre-order between now or whenever you pre-ordered until October 6th at midnight, you will be able to join a private Facebook book club that I am hosting where we're going to take six weeks to read through the book together. And then at the end of every week, I'm going to be doing a live stream in the group. But I just have to tell you that the group is already live. And there is like 800 people in there and we are having such a blast. I can't tell you how many people have gone into the Facebook group saying, I am, it's so wonderful to meet like-minded people who are concerned about progressive Christianity. Uh, just, I mean, it is a sweet, sweet community. Monique and uh, Krista are both in the community as well. And I just would love for you to be able to join us. And so you have till October 6th, which is the release day at midnight to be able to get in that group. And so you can find all that information at alisachilders.com slash another gospel. There's a link to get your pre-orders and it'll take you through all, all the stuff to get the chapters and take you to the Facebook page. But honestly, it is, it's really just been so much fun, that group. So I want to, I want to see you join us over there. Yes, it is. It's a lot of fun. I am a part of the group and the things people post, it's hilarious. It's really, really good. And it's very encouraging and sweet. I think it's really important for people to do their pre-order because it really helps Elisa out with her metrics. That's what we're really pushing the launch party. So go pre-order your book. If so, if you're planning to get it, it's a great way to support Elisa's ministry to help her analytics because they do Amazon, Amazon and the publisher do a lot of judgments about the success of the book based on pre-order. Mm -hmm. And right. so the number of pre-orders matters. It's not um, about, you know, just hype. It's it's really a, a practical way to help Elisa's ministry and to sew into the things that she's invested in your life. It takes five mm -hmm. minutes to go pre-order the book um, that's a wonderful way of investing back into Elisa's research and all that she's done to sow into our lives as believers. Yeah. So family stick together as family. Right. <laughs> Y'all go get your book. If you, if you haven't gotten your book yet, yes. come on, let's support the family. I, I hear you. I say hoorah. Yes. All right. All right. Thanks, Elisa. Thanks you guys. Tell your kids hi for us. I will. Have and a we will show. see you soon. All righty. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Oh, she's the favorite auntie. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> All right. So let's jump in. Oh, you ready? Boy. Oh, we just going to go ahead and just. Oh, man. Do a little skirt. What have you talked me into? Tonight? Skirt. Yes. This, All right. This this show is brought to you by Monique Dusant. I don't. And you read the shirt. People read the shirt. OK. <laughs> yeah, All right. So, so if, you, if you like this show, if you like this show. Top, holy enough to pray for it. <laughs> there we go. All right, so here we go. Now, let me let me offer um, some prep to why we're doing tonight's show. Why Monique thinks this is a good idea. Yes, and you can you can hear her complaint. <laughs> you you see y'all see the struggle. You see, mm. um, 
But we get a lot of a lot of questions in to the CBFU or CFBU. Sorry, my own organization, y'all. Shame. Pray for me. We get a lot of questions in to CFBU asking, you know, how, how do you interpret this Bible passage? Micah 6, 8. What do you think about Revelation? You know, like there's a lot of conversation. You know, my pastor said this. I'm not really sure what to make of this. Can you please exegete this book for me? Like, said what? Um <laughs> And especially before I got into seminary, I was like, no, I don't know what you're doing. You better go to Bible Gateway. <laughs> but um, because we get so many questions and either written in or like posts on Facebook and things like that, I thought it would be a good idea to actually take some practical steps in learning how to look at scripture. Like, how do I understand what the word is saying for myself? Because you can't just jump on the bandwagon and trust somebody with, with the scripture or with your Christian walk. These are things that we need to be doing in community, but also that I have to um, do in relationship with the Holy Spirit and that I need to be responsible for. So with that in mind, one, I put out a question on Facebook today asking, how many of you would really be interested in doing a hermeneutics class? Like, how do we study and interpret the scripture? But in light of having a whole class ready and yet still seeing the need, we are doing this show today just to give some practical tips. This is like tips. a free sample. It's a free, a free sample. That's good. It's kind of <laughs> like you walk by Cinnabon at the mall and they give Ooh. you that one little, that one little free little bit, but then you got to pay like $37.99 for a pack of four. <laughs> the devil is alive. All right. So, so, well, I think what's important in what you said there is that um, what I'm noticing is that people are coming to us for answers, which I think is great. But we also want to equip people with the tools to, to for them to be able to to look at the scriptures themselves mm -hmm. and to, to, to know some basic steps for how to interpret the scripture, because otherwise you get in this battle of like, well, what do you think of this person's interpretation? And what do you think of this commentary? And then it's just what I call verse versus verse or mm -hmm. person versus person. Mm -hmm. um, there's some, some homework we have to do. Yeah. Uh, and it's not healthy. It, it's like the difference between teaching a man to fish and giving a man to fish. And we don't want to create an environment through our ministries well, we're just creating people who are dependent on us for answers. Exactly. And that That's my biggest thing. It's yeah. like, I am like human, you know, and I don't want someone to rely on me, on you, on our ministry, believing that we are infallible. Right. You know, so please do the work. Like if I say something that you disagree with, we can have that back and forth. If I put out a scripture and you're like, you know what? I don't know that you interpreted that correctly. Don't come for me because hello, the bottom part of this shirt. But, you know, we can have a, a civil dialogue back and forth and say, well, this is where, you know, I got that from. But the word of God is truth. And so it's not like, well, I'm going to have this truth and you're going to have another truth. How do we get to the the truth of what the author intended? Yeah. And so. Well, that's that's a really that, good. I think, you know, this is where I don't want people to put their trust in my four weeks of seminary. <laughs> Say what well, Monique said, <laughs> you know, no, but, but at the same time, you know, trust that we are doing our due diligence with yeah. the word too. Okay. So let's but jump in. I think, you, I think this oh, is you got another comment. Well, Sorry. I Sorry. just think this, just trying to lay some groundwork here of what we're doing, because what I see is like, I want us to build a healthy environment because what cult leaders do is they say, look to me. 
Mm-hmm. I have this special interpretation. See, I didn't want to bring that up, but I'm glad you did. Go ahead. But but what we want to do is we want to point people to the word and to Christ. And and we don't want people ultimately to be dependent on us. Mm-hmm. We, we would much rather teach people how to get into the mm-hmm. word. And so if people have listened to my podcast, you know, it's one hour of a deep dive into something, but you watch me do a process of interpretation mm-hmm in a passage and I'm hoping to role model for people because can, can we just be honest here? Just, just between the two of us. Just between us. Yeah. Um, so what a lot of pastors are role modeling in their pul- pulpit, that that's actually not helpful. Yeah, that that's actually not how that. you're supposed to, mm-hmm. supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's a mess because that's all people know. Yeah. They've been conditioned to these one verse. Let me give you this one verse. One phrase, one Zephaniah. word. <laughs> form of preaching, uh, topical preaching, mm-hmm. phrase preaching. And that is conditioning the church to being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine because they don't understand how the verse, like what it really means and how to unpack it. So that's really why this is important. It is. It's really important. Um, You know, I'm learning in class some very specific steps, how to properly like interpret the Bible. And it's a lot of steps. Like (laughs) I have written a lot of pages. I was like, I thought we were just going to sing hymns, you know? Um, But let's share some of those, those things. Like what do you think are the most foundational things that we need to know as we begin this process like what what would just be like the step one well the most foundational thing i think people get a bible that's a yeah get a paper bible people like like apps are Mm -hmm. handy but you need to have a paper bible that you have a pencil with the bible and that you are marking and making friends with the bible and get bibles for your kids as you're reading the scriptures together as a family make that bible your friend yes when i was in children's ministry it would like I required as much as possible to have my kids, they needed to come with their Bible. And if they didn't come with their Bible, then there were um, Bibles available for them, but teaching them how to touch it. How do you look at the table of contents when you don't know, um, you know, where to find a book? Like it was really simple things, but I think what you're saying is important in that, you know, if we teach kids how to understand the Bible or how to get familiar with the Bible, then as adults, they won't struggle so much with it. But if everything is an app, then having a paper Bible or a physical Bible is going to be a a lot harder for them to navigate. Yeah. So I think the most foundational principle that people need to know is that meaning comes from the author. I know that sounds so simple, But at the most foundational level, this is what's wrong with the social justice movement. (laughs) Like if I were to put it in one thing Mm -hmm. is that the, the so many social justice people, when they approach the Bible, they think that it's speaking directly to them. Yes. And it's not. We first have to do the step of what does the author mean by this? Mm -hmm. And when I mean author, I mean Moses, John, Paul, Luke, Matthew, Isaiah. What did these Bible authors want their audience to know? So you brought up a point that, you know, the Bible wasn't it, like the, these passages or these books weren't written necessarily for us. To us. To us, I mean. Yeah. So 
would it be fair to say, because I heard this in one of my Bible classes, that the Bible was written or these passages were written for us, but not to us. Yeah. So we are like the eavesdroppers on the conversation. You know, um, the conversation is between the Apostle Paul and the church at Ephesus. And we are a secondary audience. Mm -hmm. But understanding it through the perspective of Paul and that first intended audience is absolutely vital. The original reader. The original reader. I know it my is, terms. I got you. <laughs> it, Come is, on. it is vital. So we, we might be sitting in a home Bible study and you might have heard the phrase. Uh, you read a verse. This is how it usually goes. You read a verse. Then you go around the circle and everybody answers the question, what does this mean to you? Mm-hmm. If you're ever in a small group and that happens, uh, speak up. <laughs> be a voice for uh, truth and and the historic Christian worldview. That's not how we do that. We don't sit around in a circle and say, what does this mean to you? Because that means that meaning comes from you, mm-hmm. the individual. That's not how it works. Meaning comes from the author. So a passage cannot mean what it didn't mean to the original author. That is the most foundational thing we have to know about how to interpret scripture. Um, Jeremy was asking in the chat, um, he's heard me recommend the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Stuart and Fee. Stuart and Fee's book. Um, Yes, go get that book. (laughs) That's a very helpful book. It's written as it's written very lay. Yeah, I used to use it when I taught undergrad, like for 18 year olds. But when Emily was 12, I had her read that book. So it's not a uh, complicated book. There's the there's the uh, the question there. I've heard you speak highly of how to read the Bible for all it's worth. Are there any other titles you would recommend? Um, Really, if you have that book, that is a strong foundation And getting a solid study Bible, um, maybe the only other thing I might invest in is the, I think it's called the IVP Bible Background Commentary. The New Testament is edited by Craig Keener and the Old Testament is edited by John Walton. It's a nice one volume commentary there's one volume on the New Testament, one volume on the Old Testament of the backgrounds, uh, just giving you some insights into the cultural backgrounds, but you don't need a lot. I think that's one of the common mistakes that people make when they're first starting to learn how to how to interpret scripture is they want to buy like really expensive Bible software or and they always ask me about, well, what commentaries should I buy? You don't need any of that stuff. You can get really, really really far in your Bible interpretation without that stuff. Mm-hmm. So now you brought up um, like looking at the cultural context. Yeah. One of the things that um, we're, we started out doing in my hermeneutics class was looking at passages of scripture and then writing down or threading out questions that were cultural, that were pastoral in nature, that were, um, you know, more about the discourse and the language and things like that. How important is that when we are doing um, interpretation? Yeah. So that's kind of another major step is asking those sorts of questions. I have found that, and again, I've taught 12 year olds. I taught middle schoolers one year. I led them through the book of second Kings 
just as a um, an, uh, a challenge for myself. Could I teach 12-year-olds basic hermeneutics and using the book Second Kings to do it? Mm-hmm. And I did it. And they all gave sermons at the end. And they That's were very fine sermons, actually. So I trust me, whether you are a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, you can interpret the Bible if you have the proper tools. It's just that I don't know why churches don't teach this, but they just don't. So one of the, the tools that I found is very helpful is you sit down with the passage and you just start bombarding the passage with questions of asking your questions. And I would recommend even writing them down in a notebook. What are all the questions you have about this passage? It could be about the meaning of a word. What does this word mean in the original language? Why did this guy give this guy his coat? What cultural significance is there in that? What does, would this mean theologically? What does the word predestination mean theologically? You just start bombarding the text with questions. It is the most helpful and effective tool I have found with students to get them out of their cultural context and start building a bridge into the Bible context. And what I always challenge students with the first time we do this is they all have to come up with 20 questions about the passage. They can usually come up with five really quick, but it's a little bit more of a stretch goal to come up with 20. But once they do it, it just becomes second nature. And my daughter, um, Emily, when, when I was leading her and her friends through the book of Second Kings when they were in middle school, they, every week they had to come up with their 20 questions for the passage. And after a while, they, they just got really quick at it. Mm-hmm. And it, it gets you, you get your mind engaged in the text. It helps you start noticing the details of the text. Another great tip is read the text out loud. Mm. There is a different part of the brain that is enacted of reading the text silently versus reading the text out loud. You will notice details that you miss when you read the text silently versus out loud. Okay. So those are just some some basic tips. Now, another thing that we're learning, and, and my professor at Biola says... Context, context, context. Yeah. And he will like have you write it. Context, context, <laughs> context. What is it? Can you explain for us like what it is about context and how should we be considering context when we're reading through passages? Good, good question. I'm just checking the, the comments real quick here. See if there's anything I can cover super fast. Um, good children's Bible. All right. What, Anna uh, Alicia that Moss says, what does it mean to me has no bearing on anything. There's that. Uh, <laughs> you don't want my opinion. Uh, I agree, Alicia. Uh, that it, that's why I said if that ever happens to you in a small group, speak up or um, yeah, if it's yeah, because that's not where meaning comes from. Meaning comes from the author. Um, Facebook. Let's yeah. see. Facebook. Good suggestion for a good children's Bible for kids who are just learning to read. Uh, I think the new international readers version is good for really young kids, but I actually recommend once your kid's a reader in about first grade, just go get them the NIV Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't use children's Bibles. Use real Bibles. Trust me, your kid is more capable of understanding Scripture than you realize. Yes. One of the biggest mistakes that I see parents make is they think that um, the child's the child can only understand things at like the cat in the hat level level. 
of reading when they're at the cat in the hat level of reading. They can't they can actually understand several grades above that orally. So even when your kids are young, get audio Bibles, expose them to scripture early and often help them build those neural pathways. But as soon as they can read, I would say, get them, get them a Bible. Um, If they're challenged in reading, that's okay. Get them the reader's version of the NIV. But um, yeah. So, all right, let's go back to context, context, context. Okay. What does that mean? So I have a saying, it's actually my friend Greg Kokel saying that I like to rip off, which is never read a Bible verse. Mm -hmm. You don't ever want to read a Bible verse. And what he means by that is don't read a Bible verse by itself. Yes. If your pastor gives a whole sermon about one Bible verse, make sure you have your Bible open and you are reading what comes before the verse and what comes after the verse. You want to, the first step in identifying the context is, is, is what my old professor used to call finding the chunk of scripture that it belongs to. You don't want to just focus on one verse. You want to find the chunk. So you want to read above and below. And if you can pay no attention to the paragraph headers, those are all man-made pay no attention to the verses or the chapter divisions. Again, those are all man-made. You, in fact, what I do with beginning students is I have them go in Bible Gateway, copy and paste the verses onto a blank sheet of paper and delete all of the verses hmm. and verse all the verse numbers yeah, and all the chapter numbers and all the headings. And then they re-paragraph it and organize it based on how they read That's it. That's the current project I'm doing right now for homework. This if you go on my Facebook page, my and girl's you see learning it the right why way. Why I have no weekend? It's because I am now reordering the Bible. That's that's the book basically of Jonah. yeah, Jonah. <laughs> oh, Jonah. Yeah. So we've got. Uh, so that's my first kind of tip on context: is never read a Bible verse, identify the chunk. Then once you find that chunk of what that verse belongs to, you have to then do the next step, which is figuring out how that chunk fits in the larger chunk. And, and if it's a short book, it just might be figuring out how that chunk fits in the book. Mm-hmm. If it's a, like the gospels, it, it's a chunk within a larger chunk within the whole gospel. So you've got to figure out what the author is doing and how to read that. So like, for example, if I picked up uh, the Hobbit, okay, you know, I know our friend Rachel Shockey's watching right now. Big Tolkien fan. I have never read The, the, Hobbit. the Hobbit. or I read in eighth it. grade. I didn't understand it. No. Uh, so let's say I pick up The Hobbit and I just pick it up right in the middle and I read a random page, random paragraph from The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Am I going to know what's going on? No. Not really. I'm not going to know who these characters are. I'm not going to know who Gandalf is and Bilbo and, and all of these people. And why is a giant spider chasing him? Nope. And and no time for that today. So no time. I, I'm not going to know. But imagine I just read The Hobbit and I just read one sentence. Mm-hmm. Would that would I know what The Hobbit is about? No, no. I would first have to kind of understand something about that paragraph. Maybe I could get enough context. if I read a couple of paragraphs or a couple of pages, but then I would really need more context. Maybe I need to go read the whole chapter 
But ultimately, I'm going to have to read the whole book. Yes. To really understand it. And this is what people do not understand is that our pastors, unfortunately, have so often conditioned us to turn the Bible into fortune cookie sayings. Mm-hmm. And so we just go and we pick a verse and we just kind of like hang glide in, get the verse and come out. One verse, Vicky. Yeah. Yep. We don't take the time mm-hmm. to really understand what what is happening here and so that is the that is the the thing of what context means okay so now we we have our our chunk what do we do after we have our chunk okay so then we've got to even think of it as concentric circles like let's say our verses in the middle then we figure out the chunk then we figure out the next chunk Mm -hmm. which might be you know maybe we're looking at the sermon on the mount is the larger chunk in Matthew, Matthew chapters five to seven. So maybe our verse was um, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we figure out the larger chunk. Oh, this is an exposition on the law in chapter five. Then we look at the larger chunk. Oh, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters five to seven. Oh, in Matthew's gospel, there's actually five major teachings um, in Matthew's gospel where Jesus gives extended discourses. And so there's the Olivet Discourse, and I can't remember them all, but there's like five major ones, I think, in the book of Matthew. Then you start noticing a pattern. Oh, what's Matthew doing? Why does he have these large teaching chunks? How does this fit in the overall flow of Matthew? Oh, he's showing Jesus to be a new kind of rabbi. Oh, and then there's parallels with how the rabbis taught. Oh, now it's all starting to make sense. So then I I get the the bigger picture. Then I can go back to my verse and start to see in the fullness of it. Okay, here's what's happening. Jesus is explaining the law of Moses, you know, and, and how this is the foundation of the new covenant. And that he is kind of in the, the Sermon on the Mount, the new Moses, he he's the one who is who, who is uh, following in the steps of Moses. He's a new prophet, and this is the new law, and this is, and he's drawing all these parallels back to the Mosaic law. And then you start seeing how it all kind of fits together. But this is the heavy lifting that all of us have to do. This is why biblical literacy is important, mm-hmm. and there is no substitute for if you're really going to understand scripture to understanding the chunk, understanding the bigger chunk, understanding the book. Now we have to do this thing called a a big idea sentence. And my big idea sentences, boy, it'd be like, and Jonah ran (laughs) and Jonah ran fast. Like, Oh my goodness. Oh, look, Jonah's drowning. (laughs) Yes. But why, what is the idea behind the big idea sentence? Can you talk about that? Is that something that's sure. needed as we um, do biblical interpretation and, and study the scripture? Or is that kind of like just the, the hoop that I have to jump through in seminary? Yeah, no. Um, identifying the big idea statement is really vital. That's kind of a good next step. Like you've, you've bombarded the passage with questions. You've identified the chunk okay, now we want to think about, all right, what is the kind of the thesis statement? When we were in junior high and high school, we were taught 
um, how to write a research paper. And one of those steps in how to writing a research paper is you come up with your thesis statement. Well, what's really helpful in scripture is once you identify the chunk is coming up with a one sentence kind of summary of the big idea of the thesis statement. What was the author trying to do here? That gives you kind of an umbrella idea. And then you can look at, okay, this is how my verse fits under that umbrella. So having that main, and boy, my students would struggle with their main idea statements. Yeah. For many of them, it's the hardest thing because I don't know if it's the way that we're taught as Americans, but we are not taught how to synthesize details and turn them into a big idea. And I used to practice this all the time with, with my daughter, Emily, because she, she was a really avid reader of um, nonfiction books. She loves science books and different kind of books. So we would read things way above her grade level or watch documentaries way above her grade level. But I would periodically stop and say, okay, what are they saying right now? If you were to put that in your own words. And I would get her to practice stating what her understanding Mm -hmm. was of the main idea. And that actually became kind of a study skill. So she can read now really complex philosophy books and she just keeps trying to figure out, all right, what's the big, the big idea that they're trying to tell me here. Mm-hmm. It's a very helpful mental discipline um, to know how to do. Okay. So, so let's recap a little bit. First sure. thing we're going to do is we are, we need to understand that meaning comes from the author and not from me as the reader. Okay. One. Yeah. Two, we need to remember that the Bible was written for us, but not specifically to us right that there was an original reader who the author intended to reach right right and then we are going to look at context 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 what is the cultural context the historic background what is the geographical like context and things like that what is um and we'll build questions along that line so what are cultural questions theological questions um, questions in within the the discourse itself, or within the like the linguistics itself of yeah. of the passage. So and then we never take a Bible verse right. by itself. Right. So when we look at a, a Bible verse, we are going to look at we can look at the verse, but we need to do so in in looking at the bigger chunk that it belongs to, and reading more of the passage, not just the one verse. And right. then we'll take that chunk and figure out how it fits in the larger book itself. Yeah. Now, our friend, uh, let's look, take a few questions here. Maria has a question. She says, are there any good Bibles out there to purchase with the verses and headers already cut out? I feel like maybe I've seen it before, but I don't recall where. I'm not aware of any. Now, our friend uh, Laura. Oh, my husband found one. All right, do it. New Testament Bible without chapters or verses. All right, it's in the King James. So what they did was they took one that was in the public domain that wasn't owned by a publisher. The website yeah. So there it is. So if you're okay with uh, Elizabethan English, there you go. Um, what I would do is I just always had my students copy and paste it off Bible Gateway. And uh, then I would have them write on it and I teach them how to mark it all up and everything. Uh, Laura Hartley says, uh, the inductive study Bible eliminate, does eliminate the headers, but still has the chapters and verses. So you kind of need the chapters and verses because 
it's really hard to find things without them. <laughs> but there is value in just uh, understanding that there were no chapters and verses in the original. Jeremy says, a technique I found helpful is writing out the text longhand. Yes. Hmm. It's a trick I learned from an actor who talked about doing this with scripts. It really makes you slow down. I agree, Jeremy. Um, I used to do that too when I was in seminary is writing it out longhand and then um, marking it up and noticing keywords. How about the use of Bible, a Bible dictionary? Yeah, on the step about 54, <laughs> if there's something that's really stumping you, Douglas, uh, Bible dictionaries sometimes can be helpful, but there is a lot that you can accomplish with just a study Bible, a, a good study Bible and a good translation. Okay, so Daniela Breeze has the comment for the night so far on Facebook. This one almost took me out, y'all. She said, imagine sitting in church to hear your pastor say, today we are going to do a teaching on Matthew. Please turn your Bibles to Genesis 1. Yes, yes. That, that I don't know, maybe you didn't find it as funny as I did. That blessed but, my but, spirit. But actually there's something to that. Because, no, it should be. Because it should be. The first chapter of Matthew is the genealogy of Jesus. And it goes back to Genesis. If you don't understand Genesis, you actually can't understand the book of Matthew. I get that. But so. I'm just like how what people's faces would look like. Oh. Like why we got to go to Genesis? Hold on. We're going to be here a while. I got to get my hair done. That Sundays are my hair day. But, you know, I'm just like, yeah. yes, people would be like completely shook. Yeah. On that. Yeah. One of the things that we we talked about this week, um, and I think in our Bible time was that you need to understand what kings Come on, remember? Yeah. In order to get um, the New Testament? Or no, in order to understand the two kingdoms and what happened in Israel. Yeah. Like this one Pretty passage. much like you can't understand the prophets if you don't understand this one chapter in the book of Kings. Yeah. Right after Solomon's transition from his, from his reign to his son Rehoboam and when the, the, the kingdom is divided between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. If you don't understand what happened there... In that one chapter, the the separation of the yeah, kingdoms and, isn't going to make sense, and nothing in the prophets yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, and so you and I were talking about that today, and you're like, "What?" Yes, yes. Okay. So, all right. Um, now I'm looking through the comments. Let's see a little bit more. Okay. Oh, I have. Here's a good question. Okay. Um, not to say that all the questions aren't good, but okay. Lauren asks for a starting place. Would it be helpful to read the Bible chronologically and go through this passage in order to get to the larger chunk and connection to the new Testament or does it matter? Well, it's not immediately necessary. And by the way, I want to say hi to our friend, Edwin Ramirez uh, tuning in. Yeah. Cousin um, Edwin. Edwin should really be probably helping me with this. Uh, we need to get him back on the show. I know. We got to think of a reason to get cousin Edwin back on. Uh, okay. The thing about chronological Bibles is that they can be sort of useful if you're trying to understand the the history of Israel chronologically. But I actually, I, I feel like a lot of times they're not very helpful if you don't kind of understand the, the story arc. You know, yeah. and you don't need a chronological Bible and you really need to focus on the author. The author is the most important thing and, and that, that book. So it would be like going back to my Lord of the Rings example and the Hobbit. 
both the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy are all written by the same author. So you, you, you understand his style, how Tolkien writes, you understand the culture of middle earth and, and these characters and, and how they go. But the, the stories themselves are different. Mm-hmm. There's some different characters, some same characters. Um, but when you, when you read the Hobbit, it's its own standalone piece. You don't immediately jump to the two towers um, to understand something necessarily in the Hobbit. Now, sometimes that might be helpful, um, especially when there's some parallel or illusion, but, but the books are written by the same author. So we would expect similar vocabulary and similar tone and, and that sort of thing. So if I'm reading Paul's letters, I want to understand how Paul communicates. And so there is some value in understanding all the books by Paul, but the letter to the Ephesians stands alone. I don't necessarily need Colossians or Galatians to understand Ephesians. Ephesians is its own standalone piece. So there's this kind of interplay that you have to appreciate uh, and looking at the author first. Mm -hmm. So Luke and Acts go together. It's the same author. Mm -hmm. The Gospel of John, Revelation, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John go together. You could argue that Mark and Peter go together because Peter is the apostle behind Mark. So you have to start thinking kind of according to author. That's another level of context. Peter's the author behind Mark. What? Yeah. I've only been in seminary four weeks, y'all. The bottom of my shirt still applies. Okay. So the the gospel of Mark preserves the reflections of Peter. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. You learn something new every day. I lived in this house for two and a half years. Nobody ever told me about this little secret. Yeah. Thanks. 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 Okay. Now, one of the things that we wanted to do that, or I wanted to do that I thought would be helpful is actually practice this all together kind of family style sure. and so i know um when i asked you she was like not today but then i said yes <laughs> and she graciously said she would walk us through um and i'm not sure what verse you're doing are you still doing the verse in matthew yeah so i want to i want to do an exercise tonight all together um and think about i know that most many of you have heard this saying of where two or three are gathered, I am in your midst, or the Lord is in your midst, okay? Well, this is a very common, common sermony thing that churchy thing that people, Christians say to each other. So how have you heard that phrase preached or talked about in, in your life? Where, where two or three are gathered? Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe it's because um, I was saved in a charismatic church, but it meant that we had to come around, either hold hands or touch somebody or something, because then wherever two or three are gathered, we touch and agree, and then you got the two and the three, and it's going, I'm going to get what I'm praying for. Yeah, so yes. then Amen. Get, I'm going to get something. Yes. Because two or three are agreeing. Yes, yeah. and so the Lord will answer because two or three or there. Okay. And, you know, we always hope we have three as opposed to two because maybe, you know, <laughs> there's power in numbers. Yes, that's a womp womp. <laughs> okay. Um, so that verse is actually from Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. So I think Bob's got it for us on Bible Gateway. Um, he's going to pull it up for us here. Verse 20. Um, 
I can't highlight it there. He's going to highlight it for us for where two or three gather in my name. I am with them. So now if I am the average evangelical preacher, I want to give a good sermon on prayer. Uh, I'm going to use this verse as a good foundation for giving a sermon on prayer. And uh, I can really get into the details of, you know, make sure you got more than one. If you want to get uh, answers to your prayers, you don't want to have just you agreeing by yourself. You want to have some, some friends in the mix. And I could build a whole sermon. I can imagine the sermon right now uh, of that I, I might build just from this one verse. Well, one of our principles is never read a Bible verse. So we're going to step back. We're going to look at the text and we're going to try to figure out the chunk of what it is. Now, it's a little bit <laughs> frustrating because there is that pesky um, header there, but we're going to try to ignore that right now. And I'm going to have Bob scroll up here a little bit so that we can see. And if you have your Bible, go, go grab your Bible and, and look at it. So we're going to see that, oh, look, all right, we might look up at verse 19 and it says, if two of you on earth agree about anything and they ask for it, then my will, uh, it, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. So sometimes if I was doing a sermon on prayer, I might couple verse 20 with verse 19. But when I look at the larger chunk, I see, oh, it goes up to like verse 15 that it's, it's, uh, it's, that is the, the larger piece that it, it, it fits with. So let's, let's look at this together. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If they will not listen, take one or two others along. So that now notice that the translators are providing some um, quotes here. Every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Many people don't take the time to recognize that that is actually quoting from the law. This is how you establish the truth of a matter in the law. And it's from Deuteronomy 1915. Thank you, Bob. The Bible gateway supplies it for us there. If they re still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So what Jesus is saying here is he's applying this Old Testament law of when somebody deals with their sin, you put them out of the camp. But now in the new covenant context, there's no camp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's, there's no people wandering the wilderness, mm -hmm. if you will. So the assembly is now the church. And so what he's doing is he's applying that transcultural, that eternal principle to the church of how we're going to establish the truth of a matter with two or three witnesses. And if the person doesn't repent of their sins, we're not going to kill them or stone them. We're going to put them out of the church. So it's more about church discipline. Yes. So let's keep reading. Let's go back, finish reading our chunk. I, Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, how many sermons have you heard about just that verse 18? Mm -hmm. What is that usually about? Well, see, we got to bind it in Jesus name. What are we binding when we do that? 
all the stuff that we don't want. Again, I grew up yeah. like charismatic no, I church. I know, but so, how is that usually preached? You gotta bind whatever, whatever devil you come against me. I bind you in the name of Jesus. Yes, you gotta yeah, bind it's it a all. Spiritual warfare. Yes, verse, yes, right? yes. I'm and whatever I lose, bind the devil. I loose that money in Jesus' name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when so I was growing little... up, I had to loose my allowance. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> I see you, wallet. You're so filled with money. I loose you now in the name of Jesus. We weren't that kind of charismatic, but we, but we did apply the binding and loosing principle to, uh, to spiritual things. Like whatever I bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Yeah. Edwin's saying casting Satan out. That's right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right. So let's go back to it. So now we have to figure out how to make all these pieces and parts all hang together. If this is our chunk. So we've got verses 15 to 17, which giving us a process of church discipline, then it tells us binding and loosing. Okay, what's going on there? And then where two or three are are agree on something, there I am with them. Somehow these three seemingly disparate pieces all go together to form one idea. So now the question is, is how do I put them together? What is my main idea statement? And how do these pieces fit together? Because if I look at the, if I'm going to zoom out even more and look at the surrounding context, Bob, can you walk us through um, Matthew 18 scrolling up? We're going to look at the, the, the up and down context, go all the way to the top. So it starts off with a teaching about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Now let's keep going. It talks about making innocent people stumble, children, harming children. It's repeating a bunch of law here. The parable of the wandering sheep, that if a sheep wanders away, God will go find them. Then it talks about dealing with sin. And then it talks about the unmerciful servant, the person who doesn't forgive. Uh, Jesus says, you know, you have to forgive 70 times seven. Um, I wonder if Jesus um, only taught that for white people. Is that only a white verse? Did I miss that part? Because black forgiveness. Never mind. That's a whole different show. Edwin, can you help us out with that? (laughs) Uh, So, all right. Keep going down. Yeah. So then that takes us to to the end. So what's interesting is that this passage on church discipline is coupled next to a parable about a lost sheep and a teaching on generous forgiveness. Hmm. And so then the question we have to sit back and ask ourselves is, are these things related? Why did Matthew bookend this teaching on church discipline with a teaching on Jesus looking for lost sheep and generous forgiveness? And, and how do we make all of these things start to hang together? So let's go back to our, are binding and loosing for a minute. So if we notice back at verses 19 and 20, it's this business about two or three. Well, where have we seen that before? Where have we seen this two or three business? Yeah, two or three. If two of you agree on anything, two or three gather in my name. Well, it was up in verse 16. Take along witnesses. Establish the truth of the matter with two or three witnesses. So what it's saying here is that 
the way that you're going to establish truth is by having two or three witnesses come along and say, you know, this is the person's story that we're going to believe. This is why it is so important and vital that we hear evidence fairly and completely and without bias, because God has set up a court system in the church for how we're going to judge one another with using two or three witnesses. Hmm. That's good. And can you put it back up there, please? And so whatever we ask or agree on, on, on earth, and we do it in the name of Jesus. In other words, we have blank checks in our pocket and we're, Jesus has already signed these checks and we're just filling them out for him. He's going to be there in our midst as we make those decisions, as we cash those checks in, in, in these, these courts is what you see in the old Testament. God set up a court system using sinful humans to adjudicate justice. And this is why it is so vital that these sinful humans abide by the laws that he gives them to not pervert justice, not take bribes, not use unjust scales, not use um, to, to judge the poor and the rich according mm-hmm. to the same rules, because he knows we're wicked. Yes. And we're sinful. So he gives us the standards to make, to adjudicate these things. Those standards are the same for us, but now they're not in the public square. They're for the church. How do we adjudicate truth in the church? Mm-hmm. It's the same process. Mm-hmm. It's two or three witnesses. How do we determine truth? And then he's saying, wherever it is, whatever those two or three witnesses agree on, that's, that's what where truth is going to be established. That's why it's such a miscarriage and horrible thing of justice when victims aren't heard, when evidence isn't weighed properly. It's a miscarriage of justice. And when we do that in the name of Jesus, it's just catastrophic. It's horrible. And so this verse of binding and loosing, can we go back to it, Bob? The binding and loosing and the agreeing together, all of this chunk is about church discipline. It's about establishing truth through two or three witnesses. It's not about getting your prayers answered loosing devils. See, we got more people together so that we could bind and loose. <laughs> it's not about getting healed. I mean, we could do that. We 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 could I, I'll, I'll welcome that healing prayer with two or three people, but that's not what that verse is about. It's about establishing the truth of the matter in a matter of church discipline, but then what do we do? The very next teaching is about generous forgiveness. Mm. That passage is about the importance of repentance because when the person repents, then you bring them back into the community. But if they do repent, then we want to be generous in our forgiveness. And so that's how it fits with the next chunk of what Jesus says. Because if if people are going to walk in peace together, you have to have repentance and forgiveness. Mm. And if you don't have both, you can't walk in peace. Yes. So Jesus, the reason these two things are paired next to each other if my big idea is if we're going to walk in the body of Christ, we have to walk with both repentance and generous forgiveness. Yes. So that's good. Anyways, that's good. I hope this was helpful to, to somebody. See, 
And, but I mean, it's it does kind of sound like a, a sermon, but this is what we should be teaching in in church. Like we don't want to raise people up just to be dependent upon the leaders. Like people should be able to to go and, and break open the word and feed on the word with understanding. Yeah. I love so it. it's this is why this whole business about not reading a Bible verse is so important mm-hmm. because it makes a great mug to say, you know, <laughs> or two or three gathered in my name, I will be there. That makes a great T-shirt. That makes a great, you know, a great thing. But that verse might not mean what you think it means. Hmm. So for some homework, if anyone's wanting the challenge, go look at the verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a good one to look up. Look at the chunk. Figure out the context. Figure out what's happening and see what that means. Another good one is Jeremiah 2911. See, I don't for, want to talk about that one. For I know the plans I have for you. I know she's going she gonna to probably say that it's associated with something. See, I, I found that Bible verse in my charismatic days, which I, I'm not like a cessationist. But um, yes, I found it back when when it was a bumper sticker and like my, my Bible cover said, you know, for I alone know the plans I have for you and all those things. And I just feel like I feel like you're going to take that away. I'm not trying to ruin nothing. I'm just trying to help us um, learn how to look in the scripture for yourself. And, and I think this is the thing that I hope that people get from this is, again, we don't want to create an atmosphere in, in our ministries where people are relying on us. Never. We want people to, to go and look. Mm-hmm. Now, an, a final step that we haven't talked about that I think is a good a good check mm-hmm. that I, I want to bring up here real quick is um, the question of once you get your interpretation, go check how Christians have historically interpreted that scripture. Yes. Go, go do some research on the church fathers to make sure you haven't come up with some wild uh um, interpretation that carries you away. Now, can you briefly tell people how they can do that? Because I think for me, you know, just as a lay person, somebody's now like, now you need to go and do your church history and find out, yeah, you sure, know, sure. is there a quick way to do that? Is yeah. that like, do I, is there one book? Do I need the, to do a, is it just Google? The quickest way is just to go on Bible Gateway. And if you go on Bible Gateway and you look on the right hand side, you can see the Orthodox Study Bible. And they have no, the footnotes in the Orthodox Study Bible will usually give you a little snapshot of how that passage has been interpreted by the earliest Christians. Mm -hmm. And that'll at least give you like a starting place um, for understanding. And like, this is a great example. I I had a conversation with somebody this week and he, he was trying to tell me based on one verse in the, in the gospel of John, that the Holy Spirit didn't exist. The Holy Spirit wasn't eternal. I was like, how is he getting that? And then just a simple look at the creeds to me shows that Christians have always believed that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were co-eternal and co-equal. So if you come up with an interpretation and then you go check it with what Christians have historically believed and you find out, oh, wait a minute, I, I, I'm drifting into her- heresy here. 
You know, I don't want to adopt a view that the Holy Spirit isn't isn't eternal mm-hmm. just based on one verse. Mm-hmm. So that's also an important guardrail to keep yourself safe. What so. would you say about using community as a guardrail? Uh, no. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> didn't, because, didn't, just making sure. Because so many know. Christians don't have basic literacy anymore. I was just asking a question. Well, okay. This week, there was a Barna study that 4% of millennials have a biblical worldview. Oh. 4%. That's a tiny number. That is. So, yeah. no, don't don't ask the community. <laughs> Someone, um, and I don't, especially when that community is woke, oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, Thank you, Edwin. You, you, you feel me. Someone posted in the chat, I want to say on YouTube, but I don't remember who it was. I can't find the the comment right now. But they were asking about maps. Allison, it might have been you, um, asking about Bible maps. And you gave me two really good books. So I ran and got them. Um, do you want to talk about these? Because she was like, what is the importance of maps? And can, I think, can you recommend them? Um, now, I never used maps before I came to live in the Bontrager home. (laughs) But since then, I think it's really given me a unique perspective into, you know, where are things when when I'm reading like, oh, you know, they were in the land of Moab. So um, Esther, not Esther, Ruth and um, Naomi were in the land of Moab, but then they wanted to go back to her hometown of Bethlehem, Bethlehem. you know? And so I'm like, well, did they have to travel far? Could they like get one donkey? Did they have to transfer? If you, if you know buses, then you know, you got to get a transfer. So this is the, by Rose Publishing, I got a couple of these. They they publish a lot of stuff. It's nice for lay people. They have attractive, colorful things, but boy, I, I mean, when I was reading the Bible with, with Emily, when she was young, the thing we had to have before us was always a map. I mean, everything that, so, it's so everything that would, we would read, we would look it up on the map. And these are just like super colorful. I love the Rose Publishing things. This even has like a thing you can lift up. This shows you the modern day borders of Jordan and Sinai Peninsula. And then you peel it back and. You can see the ancient, ancient maps. But whenever you're reading scripture, always have a map. Like if your Bible doesn't have maps, because I'm noticing more and more Bibles are eliminating maps, which is really sad, but have some maps, have a good solid Bible atlas and take the time to look like, okay, what are we talking about here? I'm reading in the prophets. It's talking about the hill country of Ephraim. What is that? Where is that? And how does that connect to, oh, now we're talking about Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Where is that in proximity to the hill country of Ephraim? Take the time to look. That's another important aspect of the context. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we have a couple of map books that we use. And we literally use these books when we sit down to do our family devotions. And yeah. it's, I think it's helpful. I like them. Okay, our, our episode has been Edwin approved. So I'm feeling better. He's, yes. the, he's the pastor. And the door, the door map song came in my head too. I'm the map. Yeah, never mind. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yes, yes um, the map song. But y'all don't act like you don't know Dora and the map song. Family, come now. Uh, Jeremy's recommending the book, uh, How to Read the Book, How to Read a Book by Adler and Van Doren. It's not about Bible study, but it's good for developing better reading comprehension. Boy, do I second that. My colleague uh, at work reads that book literally every year. 
once a year. It's his all-time favorite book, Adler, Mortimer Adler and Charles Van Doren's book, How to Read a Book. We, and we're actually starting a, a class in a couple of weeks at my employer where that book is the, the main textbook. It's a critical thinking class. It is super helpful. Yes. Okay. Sorry, I'm just putting in the name of both of these. All right. Well, we hope this is helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't we, know if this is a show so. or not. It, it is. Monique talked me into this. People need to know. Don't be <laughs> acting. You, I know I needed to know, too. So, um, you know, you need to know, and that's okay. But we can't sit up in here and be hoodwinked and bamboozled and then be upset when we hoodwinked and bamboozled. No, people, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. If you get hoodwinked and bamboozled because you didn't know the scripture, unfortunately, that's your fault. You need to dig in. And oh. now we're teaching you. And yes, I believe, I, and y'all pray for Krista because I'm praying that she really does do a hermeneutic class. And um, we can do it through CFBU in the beginning of um, next year so that I need this one. So that we can learn how to appropriately dig into the word. Because let me tell you straight out, you can go to seminary and your seminary can be woke and they can teach you that in order for you to dig into the scripture, you have to have one person from every people group to get a, a, a literal, not yeah, like a literal translation or an actual, um, a, a, yeah, thank you, an accurate truth or an accurate understanding. No, the meaning comes from the author. But if we're sitting up and teaching people standpoint epistemology in our seminaries, nobody's going to be able to exegete scripture and do proper hermeneutics. But y'all know that she's not, um, she's not woke. So <laughs> she's not teaching standpoint epistemology. No. But we do need, and I mean, my hope for seminary, and I love, I love Biola, but let's be honest, that critical race theory and critical theory has infiltrated our school. Oh yeah. And so with that in mind, the only the only school that I know that is standing firm against it is Southeastern. No. So, Southern. Southern. Southern evangelical. evangelical. Thank you. Yeah. But if Southern evangelical is the only school left, at some point, we're going to have to use Bible teachers, Bible professors, accredited, university trained Bible professors to say, look, I'm going to pull you all to the side and I'm going to teach you how to do this because you can't go to seminary because they, they woke and they teach in some kind of false doctrine. But yeah. that's real talk. No, it is. It's and real. I, I'm. You can't go to Biola and, and and believe that every class you take is going to be straight up. It's not. Well, and it gets really hard to sort your way through the classes now um, uh, because of the amount of liberation theology and critical theory that is coming into so many seminaries. I don't know if it's true that Southern Evangelical is the only seminary left, but it's certainly the only one that I found that has a public statement about it on their yeah, website that's a more fair statement that says this is our position these are the faculty that we're hiring and they they have a clearly laid out statement now there might be other schools who are behind the scenes doing some things but southern is the only one that i know of as a public well thought out statement of what's up and where they're going but i i think we're going to have to think about Different ways of educating people. I don't know why we don't teach hermeneutics in the local church. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't understand it. I, mm -hmm. I really don't. If I could just have a rant for a minute, it, it drives me crazy because, um, then we wonder why our, our, our people and our young people are plucked off by progressive Christianity or by critical race theory. We haven't given them the proper tools to know how to, 
to interpret the scripture. So we haven't familiarized them with the, the, the true and accurate word. So when a counterfeit comes along, they just get plucked off and people will write in and y'all, I love, I love it when people write in, but y'all, y'all want to write in. Let me give you some, some truth as well. We cannot just say, because I'm a pastor because this person is a pastor and I, I'm not a pastor. I would never want to be a pastor. Um, not in today's day and age. And I just, I, I think it's a, a big job. Like we really need to pray for pastors because they have a lot before them. And with that, having a lot before them, we also need to figure out within our churches, how do pastors have support systems? Where are the deacons? Where, where are the elders? Like, where are the people? Where are the committees? Like, where are y'all at? So that a pastor can be diligent in his word. Pastors shouldn't be caught off guard by things like CRT or be ne- now needing to recommend White Fragility or some of these other books because they don't have any, re- any resources or because, you know, they just are putting forth what they've heard because they're too busy with the funeral and the wedding and this meeting and that meeting and needing to make sure that the communion is ordered. And, you know, all of these other things that pastors spend a lot of time doing, you know, and it's not that it's bad work. It's work that needs to be done, Sure, you know, but how do we as, as the community and body of believers come around and rally around our pastor and say, you know what? I got this. Like, Elder board, we, we got you on this one. Um, deacons and deaconesses, we have, we're going to do this. We're going to step up so that you can truly be able to study the scripture, empower the sheep, because that empowering is what protects us from yeah. the wolves. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the show. Jeremy says they have a good series of hermeneutics classes at his church. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, I think he's in uh, Chicago. Chicago. So that's Great, Jeremy. I'm glad. I wish more churches would get on board. If your church would like a class on hermeneutics, call me. Reach out. Yes. All right, y'all. It is that time. All right. Because the churches are booked with guest prophets. Ooh. Ooh. In the black church, I put my finger up and just walk out and be like, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, thanks so much for watching. Please share the show. Give us a like, a thumbs up. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Help get the algorithms going strong. We appreciate you all and we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com. And find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.